Most of what we consume, we consume in a diluted form. Um, the, the, the coffee we drank this morning before we came in here was 99% water, right? Um, the, the hydrogen peroxide in your cabinet at home would be incredibly, it would be really dangerous to have around if it wasn't diluted. Even things we enjoy, like it's after the 4th of July, and I know many of us are asking different versions of this question, how many days until football season starts? Because this is the year the Huskers get off the schneid, right? Um, I know for me and my house, we're looking forward to the Chiefs season starting. One, because the Chiefs are good and that's fun. But two, it makes it a lot easier to, uh, to pretend the Royals don't exist once the Chiefs season begins. But that football we look forward to, we consume in a very diluted form. Here's what I mean. There's very little game action in a football game. If you had a recording and just watched an NFL game from, from snap to whistle, the only thing you saw was from the moment each play, the moment the ball was snapped until the referee stops that play with each play with his whistle, you can watch an NFL game in between 11 and 20 minutes, all of them. But that action is diluted out over three hours. And it's not that the dilution is bad. Some of it's important. What plays are getting called? How players are lining up? That replay, is that guy's feet inbounds or were they out of bounds? Just because it's diluted doesn't mean it's bad. It's just diluted. Well, today, as we open the book of Galatians together again and start chapter 5, What we're going to read is an undiluted, a a distilled, the the espresso shot version of what Paul has written thus far. This is mostly a summary. The thing with distilled things that that are intense and undiluted, they can be a lot sometimes. It can be intense. And this passage is no different. Paul has talked about the gospel, and what it means. He'll talk about that in a, in a distilled form. He's talked about legalism uh, and how dangerous it is to, be, to feel like you are responsible for your own righteousness. He's going to be flat scary about the dangers of that this morning. And he's going to begin to talk about, as Paul is transitioning what this Christian life should look like. We'll get there. He, he's ready to transition, but before he does, he wants to give us a distilled summary of what's come before. Let's read our passage this morning. Six verses uh, that start Galatians chapter 5, and they read this way. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You've fallen from grace. 
For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So Paul starts chapter 5 by, by stating the purpose for which we were saved. Paul's been saying over and over that, that faith sets us free. He said that a number of different ways. And now Paul says, the reason Christ set you free is so you would be free. Mission accomplished. The purpose for your salvation is freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. But what's that mean? What are we free from? What are we free to do? And what is this Christian freedom? Before I discuss this this morning, I want to tell you that if you don't get all your questions answered about what Christian freedom means this morning, keep coming back because Paul's going to mention this again in verse 13 and we're going to do a whole sermon just on that topic at that point. But for this morning, because this is primarily a summary of what's come before, you cannot read the, the, the prior two chapters without understanding that Paul thought this, this grace we've been given when we believed in Jesus Christ sets us free from the law. Paul hasn't changed his mind. What's it mean that we've been set free to the, from the law? Though Does it mean, would Paul say, whatever this means, it has to agree with what Paul has said already and what he'll say after this, right? So does it mean that we are set free because we believe in Jesus, that you are free to believe whatever you want to believe? Well, of course not, because Paul started this book by saying, if you don't believe what I told you, you don't believe the real gospel. You're not saved. You're not redeemed. That you're set free, does that mean if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are free to sin whatever sins you feel like sinning and there's no ramifications for that? Of course not. Paul would say, may it never be. And he's definitely going to contradict that in the last chapter and a half of this book. What does it mean to be free from the law? Primarily at this point, that's what Paul, he has been talking about. This is a summary of it. So primarily, I think what Paul is saying is you've been set free. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, which just means if you trust that when you stand before God, the righteousness that's required for you to have eternal life is actually Jesus's righteousness. It's not yours that he cleaned you up the moment you believe so that he could move into your heart as a suitable place for him to live, right? If, if you believe in Christ, then you've been set free from trying the impossible task of trying to obey enough so that God looks at you and says, now you're good enough for eternal life based on how you've behaved. You've been set free from that. Jesus actually obeyed the law perfectly in your place. So he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Paul said in this book, he also fulfilled the curse on your behalf too, which means all of the punishment you really did deserve for your sin, has already, that's the curse. It's already been poured out on him. You've been set free 
from trying to change the way God looks at you based on your behavior and your obedience. Now, by extension, by way of application here, that you are set free into this freedom that the grace of God gave you also means you have been set free from who you were before you came to know Christ. You have been set free from you. Do you know that before you came to Christ, at some point your identity before God was your righteousness scorecard, how you did according to the law, so that your identity was like this. Have you ever said something that wasn't true? The answer to that is yes, by the way. Then to God, you were a liar. Have you ever taken something that really wasn't yours? Then to God, you're a thief. Have you ever looked at someone you weren't already married to, even looked, and, or acted in a way where you, you thought about or did something like physically with that person that God said not to do? Then you're an adulterer. You're a coveter. Like, that was your identity before you met Christ. To the Corinthians, Paul said this this way. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's impossible. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, the effeminate, effeminate, homosexuals, not thieves, not the covetous, not drunkards, not revilers, not swindlers, None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And I got bad news for you. You are on that list. So if if your identity is on what you do, then you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You do not have eternal life. But Paul says this, such were some of you. Now this is a very important question. When did that stop being your identity? Was it when that you were a thief until you finally made up your mind, I'm not stealing anything ever again. And when I was sure I wasn't going to steal, when God was sure I wasn't going to steal anything ever again, that's when, that's no longer my identity because I quit it. And I could do that with the rest of all of the sins. that I Is that when your identity changed? No. Look at what he says. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is what I mean by you were set free from you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You are no longer the sum of what you have done before God. And you need to believe that. Because it was for freedom that God set you free. Your identity is to be in Christ now. You have been set free from chasing a different identity. 
that's based on what you do, either for a living or morally or anything else. Who you are is who God says you are. And that should be your identity. That's how you should identify. Are you still trying to sort of be a closeted Christian where really I just, I just want people to accept me? Then you are not free. I want people to accept me, but I'm going to try really hard to be good because I'm a Christian. That's not freedom. That's slavery to what other people think. That's my real God, whether or not they accept me. See, there's this, there's this really bad idea about deciding to identify as a Christian, coming to Christ, becoming a disciple. And I know because I, I, I've lived this. There's this really bad idea that says, man, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to give up my freedom. That's just not true. Now, might I give some things up if I follow Jesus? Absolutely, but it ain't freedom. I may give up addictions. I may give up sins. I may give up friends. But I won't give up freedom. You know I know? Because it was for freedom that he set me free. See, it's really tempting, and I think all of us are guilty at this, we like to pick and choose what we believe out of here. Isn't that true? And we really get angry when other people do it. Right? When, when, when an, an, another uh, part of our society, you get on the internet or watch the news, and people who call themselves Christians say homosexuality is not a sin and it burns us up. And I get it. It should. But you don't believe that real freedom is found in Christ, and that's what that says. Who's picking and choosing now? Freedom is found in Christ. This is why. This is why. We have to first identify ourselves the way God identifies me if I'm a Christian. A righteous, adopted, free son or daughter of God. An heir. That's who I am. The more I identify there, behavioral change will happen. If I try to use behavioral change to convince myself that's who I am, I will never get there. And that's why Paul says what he says next. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, there's another mistaken idea that goes something like this. The more legalistic tendencies within us or the more, more legalistic people we know, those are the ones who stand firm. Those are the people who... Right? Because I'm responsible for my own righteousness. So I care about standards. I care about righteousness. Those are the people who are unbending and stand firm. 
And the people who champion grace and freedom, they're more wishy-washy and they sort of blow in the wind. That's not true. Paul says it's for freedom that Christ set you free. So then, you better stand firm in grace, in that freedom, in where your identity comes from. You better stand and be ready to fight for grace. Primarily, I think, with your own lion heart. Every single day, I have to remind myself what God says is true about me is true about me. I have to make that my identity. Stop buying the lies that there's a better, freer identity out there somewhere else. But I am free from the condemnation of the law. I am not a loser. I am not a failure. I got to stand firm in that and then not let myself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but something bad. Help me out there. There we go. Still something bad. Oh, that's me. There we go. Thank you, Walker. The yoke is for us a really old agricultural image. It was a current agricultural image when Paul said, don't let yourself be subject to a yoke of slavery. Something interesting about this, the Jews, which, of which Paul was one, they used the yoke of the law as a positive image. They encouraged one another to stay yoked to the law. Keep plowing away. At what? At your righteousness according to the law. A yoke is this, is this wooden thing that tied two pack animals together for work. And the idea was this, keep plowing away, keep trying, right? Paul called it a yoke of slavery, tells us we've been set free from that. And here's why, when you are responsible for your own righteousness and you're plowing away at that, that field never gets finished. It's impossible. And you will fail. And you will fall short. And then you picture God getting the whip out because you're not plowing and pulling hard enough. And you say, oh God, no, you don't have to do that. I'm doing just, I'm flagellating myself enough for both of us. You can't possibly think I'm worse than I think I'm worse. Right? Paul says we've been set free from that because Jesus offers a different yoke. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Tired of what? Of plowing away at the impossible task of making God like me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Following Jesus does not mean signing up for this drudgery of a life where I try, I'm trying so hard to be good that God will like me. It's actually him setting us free from that. Who would want to ignore 
the easy, light yoke that Jesus offers to go back to the yoke of slavery to the law and being responsible for my own righteousness. Who would make that trade? Do you know who? Most of us, most of the time, (laughs) right? Because we want to be responsible. We want to say, look what I did. We want to say, I've made it. You know, the person we are often trying to be justified to the most is us. I want to be able to declare myself righteous. It's by very definition self-righteousness. We all have this struggle. I'm not pointing fingers at you. Well, I am, but I'm pointing it at me too. Pastor Brian Clark, Pastor Emeritus at Lincoln Berean, when he preached through Galatians years ago, he said, none of us are so spiritual that the grace-filled life just pours out of us. The pressure to perform is so strong in our culture that we will operate in that mindset as we relate to God. Isn't that true? We will easily slip, slip into thinking that my my position before God, the fact that I'm still in a relationship to God is up to me and my efforts. But it's just not true. Do you know why we get rest? Because Jesus did the work. That field, the field of your righteousness has already been plowed. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Okay, so Paul, in verse 1, he's reiterating what we are, that we're free, right? And don't go back into that slavery. He's been arguing positively for his position. Now he's going to argue negatively against his opponent's position. Paul has talked a lot so far about legalism. Legalism is just this idea that I can be more in God's eyes. I can be more in my own estimation then God has made me through faith in Christ. I can be more through my own efforts than just accepting what he has done for me. You want to know how dangerous that mindset is? Paul's about to show us. Because next, Paul's going to give us four dangers of that mindset. He's so emphatic in verse 2. He says, behold, which may not be translated in your Bible, but it's there, the Greek word, adu. It just means, look at here. Listen up. Pay attention. And then he says, I, Paul, like he's super emphatic. And I say to you, I'm not kidding, that if you receive circumcision, there's some really bad results of that. And I got to stop here. Because you need to know this isn't about who gets circumcised and who doesn't. It's not about that. And we know that because when we get to verse 5, Paul's going to say, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. This ain't whatever this is about, it ain't really about circumcision. For his original audience, circumcision was the symptom of a much bigger problem. And the problem is legalism. Thinking, my righteousness is up to me. There were false teachers in Galatia, remember, who are teaching... Yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you must also do this and this and this 
or you're not okay with God. You're not righteous before God without these things you must do. Circumcision was one of those things. And so for an adult male in Galatia to submit to circumcision was a pretty clear clue that he has decided, I've got to do some things or God's not going to like me. Because otherwise, why would you endure that? So the problem is the mindset that says, my righteousness before God is up to me. And we can all fall into that. And Paul has four dire warnings for people who are in that mindset. For people who think their righteousness is up to them. First, Paul says, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I told you this distilled version can be a little bitter to drink. Paul has been so adamant in this letter. At the beginning of this letter, he's so adamant. You can't add anything to faith in Christ, to the gospel, and still have the gospel. We could say it this way. You either trust in Christ for 100% of your justification or you're not justified. That's what Paul's saying. How else can I say this? Jesus Christ will not be your partner in your justification. He, he must be your, the author, the perfecter, the Lord, the originator, the everything of your righteousness. Or Paul would say, you don't have any. Calvin said, uh, people who try to have half of Christ miss the whole. Next warning. Paul says, I testify again, every man who receives circumcision, but here's what he's saying, who are seeking to be justified by what they do. That's the issue. Anyone who's trying to be in charge of their own righteousness He's under obligation to keep the whole law. In our legalistic tendencies, which we all have, we tend to treat the law like a menu, right? You look through, you find some things you like, that's what you order, but you don't have to order the whole thing, right? This is what we do. We all have some pet things that are really important to us. And we can feel like if I'm good at those things, I'm better than the people who aren't. Paul says, listen, buddy, that's not the way righteousness by behavior works. You got to have the whole menu. And God speed to you on that journey. Because you can't get there. Next warning. Paul says to someone who's seeking to be declared righteousness by their efforts, Paul says, you have been severed from Christ or alienated from Christ. Legalism. Self-righteousness. Trying to get a declaration of righteousness through my behavior. All of those efforts do not get me closer to God. And as I said a second ago, oftentimes the one we want to declare us righteousness most is us. 
if I can just quit this, if I can just start being better at that, if I can just insert your own here, then I will finally be satisfied with who I am morally. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I'm going to do better, and then I'll be able to sleep at night, and I won't feel like this. All of those efforts do not get you closer to God. Paul says they sever you from Christ. Because even one of two things will happen with all of those efforts. Even some magic might happen and I might actually accomplish them. And I will declare myself okay. But then do you know what I'm not trusting in? The only thing that will actually save me. My trust is in something I have done. But more likely you will continue to fail. Or you will think about failing. You'll be tempted to fail and then think you're a loser because you even thought about failing. And it keeps us away. All of my efforts to clean myself up before God do not get me closer to God. Is it important to let sin go from your life? Yes, keep coming back. But it must start with my identity as a clean, righteous child of God as my identity first. Last warning Paul has for someone who's trying to be justified by their actions. He says, you've fallen from grace. This is not Paul telling someone who had been redeemed that they are no longer redeemed. Um, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail of whether or not someone can lose their salvation. I'll cut to the chase. You can't. Here's why. If we are saved 100% by grace, and grace means there's no merit, I didn't do anything to earn my salvation, then me staying, holding on, behaving enough to where I hang on to it, that all automatically makes that merit and it's no longer grace. So Paul's not saying that, but here's what he is saying. I think he's saying a couple things simultaneously. If in this congregation in Galatia, where there's letters being read aloud, if they hear this, if you are going to be trying to be justified by your actions, you have fallen from grace. If it's an unbeliever hearing that, And they're on the fence. They've heard the Pauline gospel. They've heard what these other guys are calling the gospel. And I don't know which way to go. Paul is saying, listen, if you decide to be responsible for your own righteousness, you will have fallen away from the only thing that can save you, which is 100% grace. But to his believing friends who are redeemed, Paul would not say that you've lost your salvation. You'll be in heaven someday, but you are turning your back on the grace that's actually saved you. You're going to go back into this mindset where you are not going to be free the way Christ wants you to be free. You're going to be enslaved to your efforts to do what's impossible for you to do. This mindset, the, the, the The way your heart is set 
won't be grace and it won't be freedom and it won't be joy and it won't be hope. And that was Paul sort of blowing holes in legalism um, that he's talked a lot so far in the book. Now, in verses 5 and 6, he's going to give a very brief summary of our current life in Christ when we believe the gospel. First, Paul says this, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Do you hear what Paul says in verse 5 right there? (laughs) This is so awesome. He says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer working for your righteousness you are waiting on it. But wait a minute. Aren't we already declared righteous? Yes. Here's the two parts of our righteousness if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. One, you've already been declared righteous before God. You're as righteous as you ever will be in position. Your condition, I don't know if you've understood this yet, but you still got some unrighteousness going on mixed in with your righteousness, Right? So the answer is, how do I get my condition to match my position? Paul says, we are not working for our perfection. We are only waiting on our perfection. We are waiting for our righteousness. Because we're going to be glorified someday. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to be so changed, you are going to notice something about yourself You have absolutely zero desire to sin at all. You never would. It would be impossible for you. That's going to be a good day. That's going to be a very good day. But we're waiting on that. We're not working for it here. Now, as we wait, those two righteousnesses should get closer together. The more I identify in this one, the more this one will begin to match. It will. Now, the key word in that whole, whole verse, though, is this word, hope. Um, elpis is the, uh, elpida, in, in right here, is the Greek word. And I always want to point this out because it's so different from our English word for hope. Um, we use the English word hope because we are unsure of how something will turn out. Right? We use it due to uncertainty. I don't know if we'll win, but I hope we do. I don't know how I did on that test, but I hope I passed. Right? There's no uncertainty in the Greek word. That's why some of our translations put a word like we hope expectantly or something like that. The hope we have in Christ, the hope that I'm going to be glorified, perfected, I'm not working to see if I can get there. I am waiting for the sureness that it's going to happen. And next Paul says, for for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Do you know, if you're in Christ Jesus, God is no longer looking at the law, looking at your behavior every day, and grading the two. Ah, nope. I saw that thought down there. Nope, yep. And he's grading you on some, like like it's a test in school. And then there's maybe some curve, right? And the really good people blow the curve, and we get mad at them. 
because you are, think about this, this sounds like heresy, but you are so righteous before God right now, how you do according to the law in some sense one day will not matter. Someday, I don't know how this works when we stand before God, but let's just, let's just imagine that Satan, the accuser, can be there. He's there and he says, hey, God, this Seth, on August 22nd, 2023, listen to the lie he told. You know what God would say? That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't matter. If you want to spend your life on something that matters... Read the rest of the verse. Paul says, neither, and please don't hear me wrong, sin has all kinds of consequences. We're going to talk about life change in the last chapter and a half of this book. I promise. But the Christian life is not constantly trying to be better according to the law and thinking I'm killing this thing. Paul says, how you do according to the law is not what matters. What matters is faith working through love. How many arguments would we save ourselves if we believe this? How many arguments do you have because of what you are accused of doing? Uh Uh-uh, that's not really what happened. Oh, yes, it is. I heard you say that. How many? When someday God's going to say, you know, it would have mattered. If you'd have loved that person, you were sure was guilty. Like, you know, I loved you when I was sure you were guilty. The measure of how Christ is taking a hold of my heart and making a difference is not my law scorecard as much as it is, is my faith causing me to love people who don't deserve it, can't pay me back, can't do anything for me. Real love is working to see God's best happening in another person's life. And the more I identify with my real identity in Christ, he says, I'm perfectly righteous even though I blew it today. You know what that will start to convince my heart? He loves me even though I don't deserve it. Guess who that will start to turn me into? Someone who will love people even though they don't deserve it. If my identity is how well I'm doing, guess who I will love? Only people I have deemed deserve it. I will be the law giver, the bar holder. And if you get above this, we'll see. But that's not how God loved you. That's why you got to find your identity in the one who loved you when you didn't deserve it. Paul said in Romans, you were his enemy. And he killed his son to adopt you. Do you want your life to matter? Identify in this thing. Come out of the closet, O Christian. Stop trying to identify as what they think of you, 
what you can accomplish and trying to be good. Identify in this thing, in the love you have and the grace you've been given by God through Jesus Christ. And put your focus on what really matters, which is that faith turning you into a lover of folks who don't deserve it. Isn't that why you are here worshiping God to begin with? Because that's the way he loved you. Let's matter. And let's pray. Our God, we, we talk about your grace and your love. We talk about the forgiveness we bear. We talk about uh, the, the freedom we have in Christ, but we are so jammed up, enslaved to a million different things that aren't that. Father, I pray you would speak into the hearts of, of us here as we pray. God, that as we just ask you, are we free today? Do we feel free? Are we walking in real freedom? It's only found in Christ. Everything else is slavery. And Father, we want our lives to matter. Not the way other people measure what matters, the way you measure what matters. So God, help us, help us find our identity in the righteousness we already bear and the righteousness we are waiting on, not working on. That it will remind us you love the real us not the one we show to others, not the one we're trying to become, just me, like I am, so that I would love others like they are. That I would try to help them grow in their identity in Christ and real freedom too. What matters is faith working through love. And we want to matter in Christ's name. Amen. Stand up with us and let's finish our time together this morning.